Welcome to the car seat where we discuss topics uh, from recent discussions um, at the regulators round, uh, round table. Uh, the round table was established to allow for an interchange between views of academics and practitioners on questions of regulation. Uh, today we welcome Bridget Hutter, former director of CAR, professor of sociology, here um, to discuss our latest topic, which was regulatory failure. Bridget, um, you also are doing research into regulatory failure, so uh, what can one understand as regulatory failure? There, there are a number of definitions, but basically it would be when um, there's a, a perceived failure of the regulators to manage risk. Um, there are a number of sources uh, of regulatory failure. Uh, some do rest with the regulator and they can be held accountable for those, those, those mistakes, if you like. Um, they would accord with... Um, failing to intervene when they should have, or making the wrong intervention, or actually failing to anticipate a risk at all. So actually their modelling might go very wrong and they don't understand uh, a developing problem or, or spot it coming at all. Uh, there are a number of other failures which they are often embroiled in, partly contribute to, but are not solely their fault. Um, those would be failures when uh, regulation actually doesn't give them the capacity to act when something goes wrong because they're not, um, they're not responsible for that area of legislation. The, the laws may be much more tightly framed and not cover particular problems. Or the institutional arrangements may actually be confusing. Sometimes uh, regulators overlap in their jurisdictions and then things can fall between two regulators. Nobody's quite sure who's doing what. So in those circumstances, they um, are partially responsible, but, but often will take the, the can for everybody. And then there's an, a third set, really, which is where uh, the, everything is clear, but actually regulators are stopped from acting because the political climate is such um, that it's very difficult for them to do their job. When, when regulatory failure is being discussed, it is often sort of under public criticism that the regulator should have done something. Um, and as you say, um, often regulators are not capable of doing something. So what can regulators do when they become the blame magnet? Well, I, I, they don't always become the blame magnet. It, it, uh, it varies, and I think that's worth pointing out, is that some regulatory failures we never get to hear about. Um, others we do get to hear about, and they develop into something actually which I'm much more interested in, which are a regulatory crisis, which really undermines and affects the whole legitimacy of the regulator. So there are different gradations of regulatory failure. Um, the ones that come to public light are, are, are particularly difficult for them. I, I think the things they need to do, we can learn from former cases, is to actually um, act very quickly and not to lie to the public or anybody else, to be very straightforward if they don't know the answer about a risk to say so. So I think, in a, in a sense, that the best li damage limitation is not to deny that there's a problem. Um, sometimes they're better just to quietly get on and, and, and put things right. And an example there would be the Civil Aviation Authority's handling of the Icelandic um, volcanic ash incident, uh, which was a mammoth regulatory failure uh, as, 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 um, sorry, as put forward in the press. They were blamed fairly and squarely for what, what happened, but actually they very quietly worked to uh, put things right. They very quietly worked to change the standards. They accomplished a huge amount in a few days. 
and they didn't do it very loudly, they just very quietly and quickly went ahead and put things right and actually were absolved at the end of, of blame in any inquiry. Uh, other regulators are not so good at that, they, they may well deny what they're doing or they mishandle the press and they mishandle politicians. So I think they've got to deal with a number of stakeholders and the media is just one of those. And internally, how can regulators learn from the regulatory failure, either of the intervention kind or the analytical kind, um, the over and underlap problems? I, th I think they do need to have a look at what went wrong and see if they can learn from it. Sometimes they need to put procedures in place that may not have been there. They need to make sure that their accountability structures are working. They need to look very critically in an ongoing way, really, at the sort of uh, risk anticipation that they're engaged in. Uh, but I think they also have to learn that you, you can't learn totally from one mistake and, and, and guarantee it won't happen again because no two incidents are actually identical or the same. So in a sense, this is why resilience, I think, has become so, so popular, is that that conveys a notion that they need to be thinking in a very flexible way and trying to sort out how to deal with the unexpected. So I think they need to do two things. They do need to have a look and see if there are things they can learn about how they handled it, what went wrong that they can put right, but they mustn't be complacent and think that means they're fine for the next time. And, I mean, there are plenty of tools out there to be resilient. Uh, governments pump out documents on better regulation and so on. I mean, do you think these better regulation tools like risk frameworks and so on actually help um, to prevent regulatory failure or um, do that actually make the problem worse? Um, th there are a number of different tools that, that, that you're talking about there, in fact, a very wide variety uh, if we were to look at risk-based regulation, which might be one regulatory tool that's tied in very closely with risk management, it, it can be helpful in terms of them um, critically having a look to see if they really do have sufficient information about what sort of risks they're dealing with, um, if they can learn how to prioritise their resources in terms of handling those risks. But they do need to be handled with caution. They're merely heuristic. Um, they, they don't, you know, they can take on a life of their own which, which can become quite dangerous as maybe the financial crisis showed us. There is another sort of better regulation tool which I think is actually much more dangerous for regulators and those are the sort of big, better regulation tools the government have which actually um, interfere with the sort of balancing act that regulators are asked to play. Regulators are asked to balance different sorts of risks. Um, they're asked to weigh up different sorts of interests. They're asked to manage risk, not eliminate it. So they have to decide what level of risk is acceptable, which is it's essentially a political question. Uh, when better regulation tools come in, you have to ask the question, better for whom? And invariably, in government, that's better for business, which can then affect the calibration of, of how you look at the, the risk cost balance. And I think that can then become dangerous for, for regulators because that may increase the likelihood that they will get things wrong and they will then carry the can for something that was not necessarily their fault. So that's when they're quite vulnerable, I think. Bridget, thank you very much. Thank you.